And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hear that podcast growling, mean and angry. Hear that local shouting, it's dangerous. Charlie Goldsmith. It's dangerous. Charlie Goldsmith. All right, welcome to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growling, Pauline Jr. of the Athletic here with you. It's uh, Friday as we get ready for the Bengals hitting Monday night football against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Usually this is our Thursday wild card, which wasn't even really like the name of this show, but it's just kind of something I've said. And it kind of makes me now refigure that I, I may have messed up calling it the Thursday wild card guest, but it is the Jacksonville preview wild card show. And this week, Bringing in my friend and yours that uh, I'm sure you all know very well if you are a fan of Cincinnati Bengals. That's from the Cincinnati Inquirer, Charlie Goldsmith. What's up, buddy? You know, I, usually I call other people wild cards, you know, with the wild card births and all that kind of stuff. So today I get to be the uh, the wild card. You're the, you're the wild card. And, and you know what? I think when we go, one of my favorite things that we do is uh, on Saturday nights on the road. And we're all out at dinner or whatever, potentially afterwards, the Saturday night hot take workshop where we all workshop our takes. And I feel like that makes you kind of a wild card because we're going to lean in. We're going to lean into the take workshop a little bit today on this team and the state of it. That's why I thought you'd be a good guest this week in particular, because everyone right now involving the past and the future of the Bengals has a their own version of the Saturday night hot take workshop. It's really like the whole month is just going to be, it's going to be take workshop month. Forget Saturday. Wait a second. Are you telling me that people have been focusing on big picture thoughts about the Bengals this week? They really has have. That been happening? It's been have happening been for things? those that, for those that have, have been just spending the entire week in a fetal tuck in their own uh, bedrooms and you've just come out. Yes. There's a lot of big picture takes happening. So we're going to dive into that. I hope people have been reading Charlie in the inquirer of Cincinnati.com. Of course you do great stuff with the the reds as well. Bengals. You've got, you've got red stories up. You've got a great story on Zach Carter. That's up right now. I hope people have get Charlie's chalkboard, right? Thank you. Big chalkboard guy over here. So love Charlie's chalkboard. Uh, always diving into the good topics of the week. Thank you. Yes, Charlie's chalkboard every Tuesday. There it is. It's that's an and that is a you can you can get it. All you got to do is just hit a little button, just a little subscribe button, and you can you can get Charlie's chalkboard in your life. I would say of all the things I do, the chalkboard is the closest to a take workshop kind of platform because <laughs> you get a little bit different, a little bit different voice there. Yeah, and I and I love it. So, uh, and you can always hear "Good Time Charlie" on ESPN fifteen thirty with Austin and Tony, uh, other friends, good friends of the program. Sometimes I have the news, (laughs) but you're always there, and uh, and and I always I always love uh, those segments as well. So, uh, more friends of the program we've got there. Um, Let's later in the episode, Kurt Warner is going to join me. uh, Conversation I had with him, kind of breaking down. Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, Jake Browning, all things quarterback in this Monday night matchup, which is interesting and and kind of a, a little bit of a closer look at, at what Lawrence and the Jacksonville offense has been doing. So looking forward to that coming up in a little bit. I have a column out right now on something that Mo and I dove into on Tuesday's podcast. So it may be a take that you're already familiar with uh, on just sort of the, the misplaced aggression on the Zach Taylor's record without Joe Burrow argument um and so that's up there now the the whip around is up which charlie i want to see i want to give you a chance i was asked one word to describe the Bengals november i was it was one of my favorite questions i've ever been asked because it really got me thinking of like all the great tragedy synonyms that are out there what, what would be your one word Popped, as in wrist ligaments pop um yeah. playoff contention opportunities pop 
like a balloon, the yeah. air let out of the balloon. I'll keep going with that metaphor and that uh, two different, two uh, technical popping and then a theoretical popping. Yeah, that it's the perfect word. There's no question about it. It really was the, the, the popping of November. Um, sad, sad for all. I'm, I'm sad for all involved that to continue to relive the thoughts of it because it's just, I know everybody's still kind of reeling a bit as we've, as we've noted. Uh, quick news hits, T and CTB. Uh, back at practice, getting healthier, looking good for them. That's the plan to play Monday, according to T. Higgins. And uh, everything seems to be trending in a good direction, but we'll have more information to that. Keep it locked as we get closer to the Monday night game. Um, the Bengals listed Jake Browning with a full participant right wrist delegation. I don't know if his wrist is hurting him at all. I just hope that the Bengals are going to list their starting quarterback as full participant with a right wrist every practice report from now until the end of time. So here's my question for Jake Browning. So like Joe Burrow, it very much became a thing like, oh, what's he wearing as he gets off the plane? And Jake Browning, his first start as QB1, comes in with a very like, like no offense to Jake Browning. I'm very interested to see what he does as a quarterback. But, you know, what he walked in on Sunday against the Steelers was like what a middle school teacher would wear. So I'm very interested now how much Browning leans in to this stage he has in front of him with this right wrist thing. Does he come in wearing all these braces for the following game? Like how much does Browning lean into the bit and the opportunity that he has here to become a uh, the uh, the official style watch guy on the Bengals. I, I need the Bengals doing slow mo walk on the plane videos of Browning with compression sleeves on, like on the right wrist, maybe one around it, like around a, like a neck or like an elbow. I need compression sleeves everywhere on Jake Browning, but certainly. And then I think he should. I think he should go full. You know what? I'm a quarterback now and show up in like. One of those old Russell Westbrook walking into the game outfits that would make everybody say, what the hell is this guy wearing? I think he goes full fashion icon. Forget middle school teacher Jake Browning. I'm going to be a real guy for Monday Night Football. I, I need I need that. I need Jake Browning just going all in on the fact that he's uh, a focus of attention now. I'm trying to think which jersey he could wear, and now I've got it. I've got my answer. Jake Browning comes in wearing a Drew Sample Washington jersey. <laughs> Perfect. It's perfect. Ode to Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, because really, Browning to Sample is the Burrow to Chase of December. Really, it is. Uh, 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 it's an era. It's a new era for the rest of the it's, season. <laughs> uh, Burrow was there uh, this week after his surgery on Monday. He was in a sling with a cast on his right hand. Um, he said, hello, reporter people to us. Um, which we appreciated being addressed, which is nice. You can tell Burroughs in like, well, this is, I'm not playing a little more relaxed to actually even be addressing us as a group of people as he passed us. So, uh, but Burrow there and uh, back in the building, plans to be back in the building. Here's what I want to do, Charlie. Uh, I want to start with, we're going to do a little, little past uh, take and a little future take. So let's start here. Let's start with how they how they got here uh, to this spot. Let's start with, let's say, the one thing that you most didn't see coming with how they got to this spot. I'll sum it up as a lack of splash plays on defense, specifically the moments like, you know, when you chart plays from a game that you star in your notebook or you underline, there just aren't as many of those moments. Like how many times did we see last year, Jermaine Pratt have some of the quickest recognition in the league and wind up in the backfield or, or Mike Hilton's instincts. How many times did he call his own shot with a blitz, be at the right place at the right time and like do the too small thing to Nick Chubb or something like that. You've got like DJ reader having a great year, but he hasn't had the types of games that he had like against Cleveland last year or, or Dax Hill you know, against like Los Angeles, he played great. But when you talked about, and I think he's having a nice year, when you talk about all the opportunities and all these leaping picks that we saw in the preseason, that hasn't really translated into turnovers into, and into these highlight rangy plays during the season at all on some terrible tackling, which I don't think anyone saw coming. And that's a formula for a defense that's underperformed. Yeah, I think that it, it, everything to me that you didn't see coming about this team's spot is on the defensive side of the ball. Cause I think you, we had a better feel for on offense and I, and I agree with you. I mean, the, the splash plays, I mean, they're last in the league in snaps for spa, splash play a stat that I mentioned in the sad stats section on Tuesday. And it's like, 
that just isn't who they were. I mean, they were instinctual guys that were always seeing things ahead of time and making plays. I think part of that is I think you do miss Jesse Bates and Von Bell in that respect in that. I mean, those guys had the ability, whether it was a pass breakup or a, or a pick or, or just seeing something in the backfield or ahead of time, those guys, the instinctual element of shifting young on the backside, you lose. And then getting older on the defensive line, I think is part of it too, where you've just seen a lot of wear and tear on guys like Hill and reader. And you've had injury to Hubbard uh, as well. I think Hendrickson's kind of delivered, but mm-hmm. the rest of it, the the depth hasn't been there. All of that stuff. We talk a lot about the explosives, but the splash plays are a big part of it too. And I mean, for me, I, I just think the fact that we're talking about the defensive line as a liability almost rather than an extreme strength. I just didn't see that. I, I think you and I would talk about in many long hours out at camp about, man, this defensive line, it's deep. It's got quality proven veterans still in their prime at the top, young, hot picks behind it. They, they're they cutting Raymond Johnson of all people. I mean, it's like you, you just saw – it felt like it had everything and it just hasn't delivered on any of that. And to me, that's the biggest thing in a big picture that you didn't see coming in regards to splash plays, run defense, all that stuff. So to me, it starts with one thing, uh, the third down defensive tackle next to BJ Hill, because they've done something interesting schematically and rotation wise. That's been DJ now. And DJ probably has had a better interior pass rushing season than BJ Hill, but having him there creates a ripple effect. The Bengals have allowed uh, 12, 20 plus yard runs this year. Zach Carter's been on the field for nine of them. And yeah. a lot of those plays, Zach Carter's getting sealed back or pushed back or taken out of the play. And remember the Bengals drafted Zach Carter because he had 17 sacks in college that he was a converted defensive end. That's what he was supposed to be. But because of the structure of the roster, because you know, Josh Tupo wasn't as good as he was last season, all that type of things. You have guys forced into roles that you weren't necessarily expecting and on top of that, you know, Joseph Osai's season, the lights coming on for Miles Murphy. I'm still on Miles Murphy Island with that pick. But uh, <laughs> obviously that hasn't translated like anyone thought it would this season. So for all that overall, guys are playing too many snaps and it's a unit that's depth hasn't translated. Um, that transitions me to where I was going to go with the thing they should have or we all should have seen coming. Um, and some of these are obvious. This is just a side one for me. This so this maybe this fits in both categories. And that is I just think the lack of an explosive three technique. BJ Hill is a very solid player, but he is on a really good defense who he was in 2021, a guy who's splitting time and rotation wise with another similar guy, Larry Ogan, Joby, and BJ Hill. And they've asked so much of B.J. Hill because they haven't gotten the other guy to compliment him. And and I think that we should have seen that coming. And they bet, bet on Zach Carter. And you and I, like in camp, I remember talking, mm-hmm. we're both, we're, big, we're in on Zach Carter. He was, I mean, he had given he was first everything. Absolutely. First of all, he was saying the right things. He was super motivated. He was changed my body guy. Like he was up to 310 or what he was. Now he was built like a three technique. He learned from his rookie year. He, he, he seemed to have everything you would want. And the fact that that hasn't given them a more pop alongside of Hill has had a lot of ripple effect. And we probably should have seen that coming more. And that probably should have been higher on everybody's list of issues and things that they need to be paying attention to. And it certainly will be when we start talking about going forward. Um, Zach Carter's a guy who, like you mentioned, did what he did during OTAs, but has been just a a consistent part of the theme of lack of pressure out on top of that. Like it just doesn't feel like as versatile of a defensive line as it's been. It's felt like guys have been more pigeonholed into specific roles. It hasn't been guys moving around. It hasn't been different pressure looks and blitz blitz packages when you look outside of the front four on what that group has done. And then when you look at those blitz packages, Mike Hilton has a blitzer, hasn't done what he's done in previous seasons. Uh, Logan Wilson's had some nice moments, but Jermaine Pratt was probably more of an impact pass rusher last year. Uh, Von Bell was a great pass rusher, stuff like that. They just haven't had these in the game plan or with these play calls or all those kind of little wrinkles to unlock kind of an extra edge and extra piece of juice in the pass rush overall. They've been missing that. Yeah. 
And I was kind of, it's interesting. I was asking Luana Rumo yesterday about just his this need to scale back the scheme as so many of these little errors were happening and causing explosives and run fit stuff. And he admitted, yeah, I mean, I, I obviously had to dial some things back. You can't just keep doing the same things. And I feel like as he's had to kind of go back rather than expand during the year, you're not, he's not able to be what Ludini or all the things that he's been able to be as a game plan guy. Cause he's just trying to get the foundational stuff right and not give up big plays, not put surprising pressure and surprising looks on the opposing quarterback. And I think, Again, it all kind of piles in together to the core of you lose Bates, you lose Bell, you're worried about different things. They're not covering up as much. And it all sort of plays together uh, with what's happened defensively. And it, it really, I mean, it's really an all 11 thing where now Lou Anarumo is limited and playing with a hand behind his back a little bit it, with just not being able to do everything that he wants to do. So here's where I see it. Like, so I went through all 22 plays of 20 plus yards that they've allowed and what I saw was very independent issues from the Texans game to the Ravens game to the Steelers game. What you saw kind of the one theme was that there were multiple plays that had a similar theme within each specific game. So like the scramble plays and the way the pass rush was playing and the communication issues when like Cam Taylor Britt was pointing to Dax Hill against Houston and it's against Baltimore. They kept running this route, this route, I call it called a whip route or a comeback route that got a ball, the ball in space to a guy with speed over the middle. And the Bengals had trouble finding and rallying to the ball in those spots. Um, the Steelers tried a couple deep balls against the Bengals, the one against Tilton, the one against DJ Turner. And then they ran that same play to Fryermuth twice early on in the game. I think what you've seen is a team that's like not quite as good making those in-game adjustments against something that's really beating them. That's probably something they did better than anyone last year. And you're seeing a different reality in 2020. Yeah. And again, youth, right? I mean, so many young guys playing and it's not, you know, that's why I have a lot of disappointment. I think everyone does with the front seven, because those guys are there. That's not an excuse for them. They're all, they're all back, but it all ties together. You can't just say, well, the front seven, like they work completely independently of the back end. And that's just so much a part of it is when you, when you have a lot of young guys out there, um, you can't expect them to have the same awareness, the same quick in-game adjustments that they had when they had all those vets who had all played together, all been in Luana Rumo's scheme uh, week in and week out to just after they see it one time, it never happens again. Uh, that's just not the case because it's the first time a lot of these guys have seen anything like that. You know, they're still they're still swimming a little bit uh, in that regard. That's that's a really that's it's a really good point because. Those are the things that they're worried about, but at a certain point, you can't expect DJ Turner and Jordan Battle and Dax Hill to have the same anticipation and knowledge of how to adjust instantly as Chidabe Ouzier and Von Bell and Jesse Bates. This circles back to the beginning, too, when we were talking about splash plays. Like, I expected some of this. This was like baked into probably you as well, our preseason projections for the team and how the defense would look. What I expected it to be was like more of a, a three true outcomes kind of defense that would make up for it on the other end with these moments where the speed and athleticism showed up. There would be moments where they would look young and then there would be moments where they would look incredibly fast and they're flying and maybe they were a step slow, but you know, Nick Scott and his four, three speed made it into the play. Uh, Vaughn might've been there a step earlier, but, but, but uh, Nick was there a step faster. And what you haven't seen throughout the secondary is, that speed translating into big moments to make up for some of these plays that we knew that we knew they'd allow. Yeah, it was, look, it's going to take a few weeks for the young, how many mistakes, hopefully, how long will it take for that, you know, learning curve to take over and how many games could that cost them early in the season? Not that we'd be sitting here in week 13 talking about how it just keeps happening. And I think that's the thing that has made it, far worse than we could have anticipated. All right. The uh, one thing for you that they, we all should have probably seen coming here with this team. I'll try to sum it up in a short sentence, a, uh, an over-reliance on Tyler Boyd and Joe Mixon. 
Now, the Bengals addressed wide receiver with Charlie Jones and Andre Shvash's depth, but they didn't address running back at all. And I think I'll add in their inability or their inactivity at tight end as a part of this as well. Entering the year with Boyd and Mixon without help with secondary pass-catching weapons has put so much on their plate, especially on third downs, especially on third downs when there's no T. Higgins and Jamar Chase is getting doubled and you have a backup quarterback who can't make the same throws to a double-team Jamar Chase that Joe Burrow can make. We saw these signs with Boyd and Mixon last year. Like, remember the the Jets game, Boyd had that big play down the middle and Jamar Chase was kind of like poking fun at him in a friendly way. They're really close. They all are. He was doing the same, but they were kind of poking fun at Tyler. Oh, you're you're slow. We would have made the end zone way faster. And there were these signs like that on Boyd's breakaway moments, on on his inability to find enough space on third downs to really get past that first down. Uh, first down marker that has really been exaggerated this season a huge problem for third downs as a whole when you look at that part of the playbook is Boyd just not getting past the sticks and then Mixon's the same thing the the lack of help that he got in that room I was drinking the efficiency Kool-Aid but when that gets scaled back a bit what you have left is a running back who you know ran into two offensive linemen last week a running back who had one like one cornerback I've never heard of, number 17 from Pittsburgh, between him and a 20-yard run, and he just can't break one tackle. They relied too much on those two guys when the, with yeah. the way they uh, built the roster. Yeah. it's The Boyd thing is one that you hate to see because you didn't want to see – I, we all knew. I mean, we, we we can we can read contracts. We can read ages. We we know the writing on the wall. We know what the draft picks were. Like we we knew this was the last year for Tyler Boyd, but you thought that you were getting one more good season out of TB, and it hasn't been at the level that that he's accustomed to. I think he's been fine, and he's still a good slot receiver. But what made the Bengals so dangerous was that look. If you had a game plan without where you had to focus on him, where that was your matchup, he would destroy the other team in that matchup if he had the advantage. And that just hasn't really been the case. And it happens, man. Like, he's getting older. He's receiver. He's, and he's got a lot of wear and tear on him. He's played a lot in this league. It happens to everybody. Um, and, and that's why they were plotting for the next level. The thing is they haven't you know, the, the injury to Charlie Jones is very underrated because they never even really have had any opportunity to consider anything else. Um, and TB has been, again, I don't, I don't think they're in like a terrible place with him, but they've needed more. That's kind of been the story of the season. They've needed more in some spots and they haven't been able to get it. It's really, that's, it's the story of so many spots, tight end slot running back. There's all of that stuff. And that is one that we all, saw coming should have seen coming and you know the endless amounts of hours that were spent talked about that over the offseason in camp and I'll throw backup quarterback in there you know we'll see what happens with Browning going forward the decision they inevitably made but one that everybody said should shouldn't there be a little more attention paid to this and so that's that's where we're at let the looking back is not as fun Charlie let's no let's look ahead let's get this is where we really warm our hands on the fire and really dive in a little bit. Let's start with this. Let's look at the most important things for them to dig out of this and maybe some of the potential pitfalls in that. So let's start with one that you think that they are most likely to do. Is this a move? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, sure. A move, a move whatever, whatever you think, whatever you think that they need to do to dig out of this. Do what they did to get here, and that's draft a receiver early in the draft in 2024. The Bengals got – who are the Bengals? What are the Bengals? The Bengals are a Manning-style drop-back 11 personnel shotgun living offense that relies on Burrow's incredible ability to read defenses, his incredible accuracy, his great arm, and then receivers who win quickly and receivers who have built-in trust. And to take that, it takes a certain amount of pedigree. I want – this is even independent of T. Higgins, and we'll have that conversation, I'm sure, several times over the next six months. The Bengals have to keep investing in the resources and the style of play that has made them the Bengals, and that will start very early with what they prioritize in the draft, and probably you'll need a, a veteran something as well, at least at tight end or at running back. The Bengals need to keep investing in these skilled player positions so Burrow has the answers he needs, so he has the solutions that he's always been used to looking for. Yeah. There's no question. I mean, it, it's you got to do what you did to have success. And and there are 
they're they're slow right now on offense. You know, I mean they they've got an older Joe Mixon, an older Tyler Boyd. T. Higgins has never been a burner. You have Chase, right? I mean, and you've got all these big lumbering offensive linemen that aren't athletic enough to run stuff outside. You've got tight ends that are not going to be known for their speed. Like you're just you're slow everywhere, and that is not how they were built or how they can win. And they need to rebuild with speed in mind, not necessarily on the line. Like I don't need them to, they don't need to have five Jason Kelsey's now. Okay. Like that's not who they're, they probably uh, need they to take be. That. That, that's actually a decent plan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I take it over where they're at, but you, you, I, I, I'm just saying like, not what you mean. yeah, they need more speed. They need speed at tight end. They need speed at running back. They need speed at slot receiver. They need speed uh, on the outside and whatever that looks like. Um, I just think that needs to be a, a refocus and, and be part of this. And so to me, though, the move that I think they're most likely to do, because I, I think the receiver thing with the top pick is absolutely would, where I would focus. I'm just saying that needs to be connected to a tag and trade with T. Higgins that you are getting the most out of your assets right now because they need a lot. The thing is, this isn't. Before the season, I definitely could have bought in to the pay T. Higgins, the DK Metcalf, the Debo Samuel deal, three years, 75 million, and live with it, right? Like, and just that's who you are. I could have, I could have gone in on that before you saw how many holes they would actually have to fill this offseason. And that's why I've always kind of been on this team, but now I don't think there's any doubt that you can't give. One twenty-three million dollar contract to T. Higgins. You need to treat this the other way that you got here, and that is mid-tier free agency dominance. Right? You find the next round of Mike Hilton, of Von Bell, of Chidabe Awuzie, of all of these guys that they had so much success with in twenty-one and twenty. Really, in finding players that are in that value level that you are getting way higher return on uh, to create a well-rounded deep roster. And they can't do that if they're giving that much money to T Higgins that they need to be deeper again and hit on the draft. And that be how they build back. So anticipating this conversation, I've prepared something, which I'll Oh, good. Read. Is it a poem? Uh, well, from, uh, <laughs> a, 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 from, from Wikipedia. Oh, the shit here. All right. The ship of Theseus is a thought experiment about whether an object has, which has all of its original components replaced remains the same object. According to legend Theseus, the mythical Greek founder king of Athens, rescued the children of Athens from King Minos after slaying the Minotaur and then escaped onto a ship going to Delos. Each year, the Athenians commemorated this by taking the ship on a pilgrimage to Delos to honor Apollo. A question was raised by ancient philosophers. After, after several centuries of maintenance, if each individual part of the ship of Theseus was replaced, one at a time, was it still the same ship? The Bengals are the ship of Theseus. I don't think we've talked about this enough. The Bengals next year, Jamar and Joe could be the only starters from the Super Bowl who are still on the roster. It's clearly a team that's in need of repair. The question is, which is more important, the people or the process. The people represent T. Higgins. For example, if they let Higgins walk, you're not getting a player better than T. Higgins walking in the door specifically through free agency. I think T is the third or fourth best player on the team. You're not getting better than that. But this is also a Bengals team when you look at the process that made some tough decisions, that made some future-facing, future-forward-facing decisions in 2020 when they decided to hit a hard reset when they decided to take an approach with mid-tier for agency, but let him build a roster that really didn't have any weaknesses. And I couldn't agree with you more. If they were one piece away, if Higgins was the final piece, he's so good. I would have done whatever it took, but I'm much more process oriented now because the people kind of what we learned for the first three months of the season, the same Super Bowl core wasn't quite at the level that it should have been and that it was in previous years. That's amazing. What an what an amazing take. And so well thought. That was that's been workshop. That is not a like off the cuff Saturday night take. That is like after three to four Saturday nights of working the bit to trim it down. It, I mean, it was tight, it was effective. And I love the idea of what we don't talk about enough is the Bengals being the ship of Theseus. It's just perfect. 
it's perfect. I, I'll say this. I just think that you're exactly right um, in that the process is what's important here. And that is the method of them having that deep, deeper or deep enough roster is, is making the most of it and understanding what T Higgins could, you know, is he's the ultimate symbol. He's a wa- six foot mm-hmm. four walking, talking symbol of the Bengals old philosophy right now. And that is keep the band together. Let's keep, let's, let's do it again. Right. They've made this mistake before in the past as a front office before Zach Taylor got here of trying to re up. Right. And, and trying to keep doing that old thing rather than seeing maybe there's got it. You got to have a better way forward other than seeing what worked before and knowing that you've got to figure out a different way. I think they have to figure out a different way and can't latch on to sign T Higgins and figure out the rest. Cause because that worked because Higgins chase and burrow is what worked and leave everything else lacking in the process. I think it's, it is the most fascinating decision of the Bengals off season. And it's going to be so indicative of how they're viewing their path forward and how far away uh, they, they actually are. I I'm going to be fascinated to see uh, how it, how it all works out. Um, all right, let's take a quick break here because there is a game Monday. They're still playing a games, you know, like where everyone is focused on uh, where to go next and every and all these big picture issues. There's a Monday night football game against the Jaguars. I think one that we all thought was going to be massive and influential, and it still kind of is just in a different way. And nobody's even hardly thinking about it, which is which is a wild thought. But we will be here. So uh, I caught up with Kurt Warner this week, who is calling this game. Uh, along with Kevin Harlan on Westwood One. Kurt does an awesome job. He's amazing at analysis of quarterbacks. And so I went to him with that. Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, Jake Browning. Let's talk about all through through the all three through the eyes of Kurt Warner. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Curious, you know, your your impression of what you've seen from Trevor Lawrence this year and 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 do you think you're seeing his game take a you know a step forward this this year in, in, in some sort uh, yeah I mean I think I think he's made such a huge leap I mean obviously you can chunk up his first year to, to whatever his first year was with the mess that was going on down there but I think Doug has done a great job of coming in and you know, and Doug just does a good job of building a pass offense and giving a quarterback answers for different things. And so I think once, you know, he got there, we've seen continual growth from Trevor as he, um, you know, just continues to get acclimated with that. He's really good. He's a cerebral quarterback, can do all of those things. And he's just getting more and more comfortable with, you know, seeing and understanding those options and, and getting through them. So I've just seen continual growth uh, from Trevor. I think the biggest thing for me with Trevor, and, and you know, and I've seen it for a couple years, is that he makes a lot of plays and he makes a lot of reads and a lot of throws. He just doesn't make all of them quite yet, you know. And so, you know, I talk about it, you know, with most quarterbacks. You know, the, the best quarterbacks in the leagues, in the league, makes the layups most of the time. You know, the, the reads that they're supposed to make that are pretty straightforward and in front of them, the throws that they're supposed to make, you know, the throws that they're capable of making and that are that are pretty open. You know, I expect those guys to make those most of the time. You know, that's one thing with Trevor is there's times where he'll go through his progressions too fast and he misses things that are in front of him or his technique can get away from him a little bit or he can rush the technique and he can miss throws that he really needs to make to kind of take that next leap. And so that's kind of what I'm waiting for with Trevor. He's got all the tools. I've seen all the growth. Uh, you know, I see, you know, what he does on, on a weekly basis, and he's a really good quarterback in this league. To move into that, to me, that elite category, that's where what he needs to do. Just more consistency with, you know, that kind of everyday mundane throws and reads um, 
you know, that you just kind of expect an elite quarterback to make either time and time again. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of, in a lot of ways, maybe the steps that we saw Joe Burrow take over the first couple of years when he sort of broke out there. I'm curious what you made of his season and and how tough it is, you know, to go through a year, a disappointing year like that in your career where where, where injury plays such a huge role and, and trying to bounce back and, and what you kind of made of, of his season through that lens of, of dealing with adversity. I mean, Joe was just a stud. I mean, he just, you know, he's just good. I mean, his bottom line is he's a really good quarterback. And I appreciate the way he plays the game because it was very much like I played the game. You know, that it was about dissecting coverages and his superpower is reading things and getting the ball out quick and and being accurate. And, you know, maybe the best in the league at, at doing that. And, you know, too often we lose sight of that being a superpower. I think people appreciate how Joe plays, but we lose sight of that because we're so in love with the big arms and the athletic quarterbacks and the guys that can have live and do special things. And that's great. But I still believe the guys that play like Joe, the guys that can play cerebrally and the stuff that I was talking about with Trevor, the guys that make the layups and then can even go beyond the layups with seeing things faster and getting it out, you know, better. And, uh, you know, getting it to the right guy to let the other guys do the work for them. I still believe that those guys are the best players in our league. Those are the guys that separate them on a week to week basis. And uh, I just appreciate the way he plays the game because he does, he sees it so fast. Uh, he gets it out so fast. He lets his playmakers make plays for him. Um, you know, and, and then obviously, you know, his special isn't so much run around and make these crazy plays. You know, his special is making the, the, the special throws within the nature of a particular play, the accuracy, the, the anticipation, getting it out, uh, you know, quickly, the being able, being able to, to read the nuance of the defense and make throws that other guys would never see. And it's not appreciated enough, um, but he's just, he's, he, he's gifted, he's special, um, and, you know, I just, I love watching him play. And, um, you know, this year, you know, I just, you know, I think it was a bummer with the calf uh, early on because he just couldn't, he just couldn't play. He couldn't set and play and, and be as definitive throwing the football as, you know, as he normally is. And so it affected him early. Um, and then you kind of saw him coming back uh, and getting back to that guy, um, you know, there for that, that run that they made before, before the second injury. So it's just it's just a bummer. Our league is better with our best players. Our league is better with our best quarterbacks. And he is right there up at the top uh, with the best guys in the league. Did those did those years where you, you take bumps and bruises and go through it, did they did they wear on you over time or did you find it easy to compartmentalize, look, that's this position and I gotta be tough enough to to battle through that, or did did it get harder as, as those years went by? Um you know, n- not really. I mean, I, yeah, the way I played, it was just kind of part of it. You know, we were going to empty set. We were going to, you know, isolate our, our guys, and, and we we're going to put the pressure on me to get the ball out of my hands, and it was going to lead to hits. And, uh, you know, and, and I wasn't an athletic guy. I wasn't a mobile guy. So I knew that was the other part of it, is that instead of buying time with my feet, I had to buy time mentally to go, okay, I'm going to hang in here a tick longer than everybody else would. And I'm going to deliver this throw because I know it's coming open and I can't, you know, move and then make the throw. I've got to stand in here and make the throw. And so that was just kind of the part of what it was. I think the frustrating part for me was I never really suffered any major injuries, but the majority of my injuries were to my right hand. Hmm. And that was what I think, you know, wore on me more than anything else was just like, come on, like (laughs) I can play with bumps and bruises. I can play with other things. I can't play with a broken hand. I can't play with a broken finger. Um, and it just seemed like the majority of my injuries came to my right hand, kind of like Joe with the right wrist. Like, that's the left wrist. I'm playing. You know, I dislocated my left elbow and, you know, and played through that. You know, it's like you're playing with all that other stuff, but when it happens to your throwing hand or your throwing arm or whatever, those are the ones that are most frustrating because it's just like, I just can't play with this. I can't fight through this and be out there. You know, and Joe's, you know, had a couple of those now, you know, the wrist and then obviously the knee and, um, you know, and those I think just wear on you from a frustration standpoint because you want to be out there and you just say, you know, like you'll see other quarterbacks that, you know, get banged up in different ways. But 
but they get to stay out there and play because <laughs> the nature of their injuries is just a little bit different. And, um, you know, and, and that's just the thing, you know, to me that, you know, gets frustrating more than anything else because you just want to be out there playing and, you know, and specifically with me, cause it took me so long to get there. Um, you know, and I knew I was going to have a shorter career than most people and to go through some of that stuff is just, you know, it's it just frustrating. Yeah. What last thing I'll let you go. What did you make of what you saw of Jake Browning's debut and, and, and what do you think the biggest things he needs to be better at, uh, on, on, on Monday and going forward the rest of the year? Um, you know, I mean, I think, I, I think Jake is, um, you know, a good cerebral quarterback that's going to, you know, do the right things with the football most of the time. Um, you know, obviously physically more limited than, than a lot of guys. And so, you know, I, I think what I see with Jake is that if things are good around him, I think he's going to be solid and, and, and going to be fine. When things aren't great around him, I think he's going to struggle. And, you know, that to me is, is more than just kind of looking at Jake and going, this is what he has to do better. I just think this team has to be better around him if they want to have some semblance of success down the stretch because they just can't count on him to be to be Joe, um, you know, in whatever capacity, whether that's mentally or, or even physically, to make some of those difference-making plays I don't think he's that guy, and you know, and that's not a knock on him. I, you know, I've noticed this more and more as we've had a lot more younger backup quarterbacks playing this year. There's a dramatic drop off between starting quarterbacks in the National Football League and and everybody else, and that's just how it is. That's just you know the nature of it, and so you know, for those teams, I just really feel like they've got to be better as a team if. Uh, you know, if they're going to have success and not count on their quarterback to do quite as much. Yeah. Uh, Kurt, I appreciate your time uh, and look forward to maybe seeing you out there uh, on, on Monday and have, have a great call this weekend. I, I appreciate you giving, giving, me a, giving me a few minutes of your time. You got it. My pleasure. Take care. Thanks, Kurt. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. All right, much thanks to Kurt for joining. Uh, great guy, and if you're listening on the radio, you'll catch him on Westwood One with Kevin Harlan calling the game on Monday Night Football. Um, Charlie, let's do this. It is we, – we've got, we've got a few segments to get through here. We've got the, our growler bet. We've got Arby's. We've got our predictions. And I might have a little something extra for you that I've hidden from you here just for fun. Uh, so we'll see. Um, our growler bet this week, of course, if you uh, want to send in your submissions, you can do hashtag Bengals growler bet on Twitter or send me an email, pdaner at theathletic.com with the word growler somewhere in the header. It's the Christmas season. I got to feel you guys have some Christmas puns, some Christmas headlines that you probably want to drop on me. I love them all. I'm here for all of them. Uh, and so send me your submissions and your guesses and some delicious 50 West beer could be yours at our next live event. All right. Growler bet for this. Here's what I'm thinking, Charlie. Explosive plays. We've talked a lot about them. They continue to happen. Trevor Lawrence is looking to make them. So we're going to say total passing yards. On Trevor Lawrence's explosive plays. So Trevor Lawrence completions for 20 yards or more. The total yardage on those. Now, for some background. uh, Three of the last four games, he has had five such completions. 
at Pittsburgh, five for 172 against Tennessee, five for 134 and against Houston, five for 207. Um, so the Bengals need to be looking out for that. This is a pretty obvious spot. What would you say? What would be your Bengals growler bet submission? So the Jaguars are a house of horrors for Bengals explosive plays. Mm -hmm. Like we went over earlier the themes of the explosive plays they've allowed. Well, let's look at the Jags. The Bengals have allowed explosive plays on go routes. Trevor's great at throwing those, and he's got dynamic receivers who can win plays down the field, especially especially Ridley. They've allowed explosive plays to tight ends over the middle. They've allowed explosive plays on yak opportunities over the middle of the field where they've missed tackles. The Jaguars can do all those things really well, and Lawrence is really good, so I'm going to say uh, high 180 yards. 180, 180. Uh, yeah, I think I'm with you. I think it's a big number. I just don't I don't think that they have fixed that yet. You know, I mean, I don't think there's anything to make you believe that they've fixed it, and the fact that they're it's so much in the wheelhouse. I think I think they keep going. It's five again, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll put it. I don't think it's going to go over top of that 207 for Houston, uh, but I'll I'll put it up at 165. We'll say I'm in, I'm in I'm in your same range. I don't I don't think it's hard to say is where it can be. But you can send your submission for your number, and if you get it right on the head, uh, some delicious 50 West beer can be Christmas cookies out now. One of my favorites for this season that you can find down there. Uh, maybe maybe some of that could make its way to to you when we do our next event down there. Not sure when that's going to be. But I know you guys are going to come because there's going to be lots of thoughts and need to drink after this season. So uh, that's coming your way. All right, let's go. Let's do. Let's get into Arby's. Okay, Arby's moment. If you've got uh, any any Arby stories, I mean, Charlie, you've been around. We have many stories that we can tell from life on the road, from being around uh, this team for a while, or just general thought. What do you got? Do you have a good Arby story for me? I've got two from this week. Wow, just from this week. Wow. This week, you come and I won't name the players. It's okay. All right. So I'm interviewing Sam Hubbard. You know, everyone, great, great person to talk to. We're standing on that side of the locker room or he's sitting in his chair and which is behind the ping pong table. Mm. And I believe it was one offensive lineman hits a monster forehand. The ball goes rolling over to my foot. So the other offensive lineman who's playing has to go retrieve the ball. And instead of just walking over, just saying, hey, can you pass me the ball? He walks over, politely taps me on the shoulder three times and goes, and this is how he said it. Excuse me, would you mind if I go ahead and pick up that ping pong ball? And my response was, dude, you could have just said that. Like, yeah, here you go. Like, And my second RB story is um, on the other side of the locker room. A rookie was talking to, you know, someone who works for the Bengals. He needed to find specifically the hostess, the hostess mini muffins, the confetti cake style. And the guy was very, like, he was very confused. Like, what do you mean? You mean like the, the chocolate chip? No, no, no. The confetti cake, with like the multicolored birthday cake pieces <laughs> within the muffin. It has to be this specific type of the hostess mini muffins. And he was trying to figure out where he could get them. And it's like, sorry, man, I don't know specifically where they sell the, the birthday cake brand. Like I can get some <laughs> regular ones, but you know, I can, I can make some calls. Like, I don't know what you want me to do here. And so hopefully DJ, there you go. It was DJ Turner. Hopefully he got his host as many. <laughs> Look, those are important. They're important things. And it's, it's rookie life, right? You yeah. don't know where all the mini muffins are. You're still adjusting. I think that really feels like a good lead for a DJ Turner year two story. Now he knows where the mini muffins are that he needs. Just like he knows where to go on third and seven, you know, George I just, Dickens is the, is the mini muffins. Yeah. You gotta be able. He's, I'm he's sure in, he would love that nickname, Minnie yeah. Muffin George Pickens. Minnie Muffin George Pickens. Yeah, well, we won't. We probably won't trial that with him. No, I, I assumed that one of your stories would have to do with ping pong because, I mean, you're the foremost ping pong aficionado on the rankings on who's on on really who's the best, who's the worst. What what have you? What have we noticed? You know, the ping pong thing has fallen off a bit this year. I feel like we've seen a lot of the same players. Without Trent Taylor, NFL champion ping pong player Trent Taylor here, I think, I think the level has gone down a bit. He's really in of ping pong. He's really the Jesse Bates of the Bengals team. Where without you noticed his loss on this team the most in the ping pong world. Without Trent, it feels like everyone's kind of there's been a ripple effect where it's all kind of suffered. And you've really relied on some other guys like Nick Scott to come in and try to 
play ping pong and it's just it's just not quite the same for for that's a better breakdown than that that's excellent great <laughs> great breakdown there uh, i will say though like so first of all honorable mention uh trent Irwin, uh joseph osai akeem tavis gather really impressive stuff this year now like you remember in 2021 when like joe burrow made the leap and like he learned how to be smart with his timing in the pocket and when to take sacks and not to take sacks and like oh joe burrow's an mvp candidate he made the leap Tyler Boyd's made the leap this year. Wow. He was an inexperienced gunslinger last year, slinging the ball around the lot, making around the lot, making unforced errors, but talking a lot of trash and hit some great shots in the process. This year, he's learned when to check it down. He's learned how to read different looks. Tyler Boyd has made the Joe Burrow year two jump. And I will say, I mean, he is, he's always been the most boisterous and loudest and he he content he has taken that to another level mm-hmm. too. He no one is more competitive about it right now. I mean, no one gets more mad and just wants to yell at his teammates about it. Like you can tell, like it has mattered to him taking this leap. And he was sick of taking the L's that he was for being a kind of a reckless ping pong player last year. And so, you know, I think he, you can see the competitive streak still alive in Tyler Boyd. Don't count him out, NFL. He's still got it. You, the best was when he screamed at uh, the Bengals' defensive line, you can't zero me after hitting a monster yeah. <laughs> four. Just kidding. That did not happen. That'd, that'd be it. That's, but that's really kind of what it feels like. Spiritually, uh, that's what happened. All right. I want to do this. I, I did this thing. Uh, we Mo and I used to have this segment that we would do where I would do a three downs, and I'd put him on the 40-second clock, and he'd have to hit like a perfect take right as I would run the clock down in front of him. Uh, And it was was, uh, incredible stuff to watch, pros, pros stuff, where he could always hit the post perfectly. I'm not going to ask you to hit a number. I'm not going to put you on the clock. But a general quick take on three random topics that are all not off the field, I'll say, and some non-sportsy. Just to hit a quick take on, and we have not discussed these. I hid these from you on the rundown, so you didn't know where I was going with this. So I will sub- say, yeah, real quick. In college, we kind of we had to do like a minute take. We weren't graded on the quality of the take. We were graded on if we hit a minute, which I okay. thought was strange. But all of that work will pay off exactly right now. All so right, I'm asking. I'm ready, and I feel prepared for the time challenge. All right, I'm I'm gonna I'll I'll just kind of have a general clock on you. Uh, but I'm not going to hold you to it. It's not going to be any delay of game penalties. But I'm, so I'm going to give you just three surprise quick takes here for you, Charlie, because you're the, you're the king of quick random takes. And so I need your quick take on Christmas season. <laughs> Hanukkah is a great time at the Goldsmith House. Yeah. A lot of people don't understand a lot of the traditions that are – Awesome. That frankly should be part of the mainstream with Hanukkah. For example, Hanukkah, the only holiday where jelly filled donuts are a part of the cultural like celebration included in the basis for the holiday. Um, you know, like you ever been to Izzy's, you got the potato pancakes. Uh, they popularized a time as old, a tale as old as time Hanukkah tradition. Uh, hey, let's just give out chocolate. Hanukkah is the, the Jewish Easter in that way. Um, everyone had Hanukkah the best the izzy's potato pancake is one of the best kept secrets on the cincinnati food scene i've said this for a while be prepared it's heavy but Mm -hmm. you will be in extreme enjoyment it is a big winner i don't get any endorsements from izzy uh himself or anybody associated with izzy's but the izzy's potato pancake always been a huge favorite of mine that nobody talks enough about on the cincinnati food scene i'm with you on so that. like you know how like in like cincinnati we go oh, where'd you go to high school you know that's what we ask like the hanukkah question is do you have your potato pancakes with applesauce or with sour cream <laughs> and there are applesauce people i'm an applesauce person and there are sour cream people and this is the UC Xavier rivalry within the Hanukkah celebration. You have, you know, people are debating, people are yelling at each other. This is the Hanukkah. This is what really brings the family together. There's, the there's, there is no question. Put me just with my foot down, screaming from the mountaintop. I am team applesauce. There's no way I'm putting any of that sour cream stuff on my potato pan. I'm team applesauce for sure. Uh, Makes right. it more sweet than savory. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm just an applesauce guy in general, and there's just no way. All right, let's go. Uh, number two, mascots. 
So did did anyone ask you to to say this? No. Because my Reds mascot thoughts are very well known. Yeah, I mean, okay. Right. Well, I don't know them, so let's hear it. So in the 1990s, Mr. Red was the face of the franchise. The running red was synonymous with an era of Reds baseball. All of a sudden, the Reds enter the Great American Ballpark era. They bring in Gapper. They bring in Mr. Redlegs. They bring in Rosie Red. All of a sudden, Mr. Red becomes the fourth billing after being the face for a very successful decade of Reds baseball. On top of that, it gets even worse. My assumption always was, oh, you know, you got Mr. Matt and Mrs. Matt. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Red and Rosie Red are, are, are an item. I don't, I don't want to put labels on it. Boyfriend, girlfriend, they're married, whatever you want to say. Well, then COVID happens. And the Reds in 2021 had limited seating. And you, you have to sit in your family unit, okay? So... To illustrate this, they use the mascots. And there's Mr. Red, Mr. Red sitting in row D by himself. And in row B, there's Mr. Redlegs with his arm around Rosie. So not only did Mr. Red lose the spotlight, he lost the girl. And that is one of the saddest stories in this sports city of my lifetime. Oh, hit the perfect minute on an incredible take. Uh, you're you're right. I, I am of the belief that... One, there's too many. I, I think, and I think there needs to be a proper priority of Mr. Redlegs needs to be, I think, the focus for me. But it was Mr. Red's race. It's his race. I understand it's his race, but Mr. Redlegs is an ode to their history as the oldest professional franchise. The mustache, the old timey look, that's who he is. That represents what is the Reds number one characteristic as like a general organization. And that is first team in the history of professional baseball. So Mr. Redlegs in his vintage uniform and delightful mustache that's very popular these days, by the way, is exactly the type of thing that they should be number one leaning into. To me, it should be red legs one. I'll, I'll say red. I just want everybody else. Well, I want Gapper way in the back. So it's like <laughs> a, it's like it's a diamond for me. Okay, it's Mister Red Legs at the top. I got Rosie and Mister Red in the middle, and then I have Gapper way in the back, who I would be just fine if he just kind of wasn't even around anymore. That's mine. I'd like to really lean into the antics. Like I'd like to see Gapper take like a WWE turn with the next phase of his career. Where he's just a villain roaming more, much more of a villain roaming the, the facility. Yeah. I'm, I'm fine. I'm for that. Uh, all right. One last one. And maybe this is me leaning into something that I, that I know you're passionate about, but we'll, we'll go with press box food. Um, The first thing I look at is what your dessert plan is. Is it <laughs> Aidered? Is it, Usually if it's made in the stadium, that's not necessarily a great sign. And how does it pair and complement the snacks, the desserts? You'll see candy bars across the, you know, different candies across the league. I will say, like, talk about, like, you know, in 2020, the Bengals had this all-time draft and made this big leap. What the Bengals have done in the dessert category this year, like I saw Cervantes boxes, so I assume these huge cinnamon rolls came from Cervantes. When I say these cinnamon rolls were the size of, like, a lamp, that's accurate. Or they had puff pastries at one game, which were delicious. And I just want to let you know if there's anyone from the food company who provides their desserts to the Bengals, I just want to let you know from me to you, thank you, I see you, and keep up the good work. Well done. Uh, I, I agree uh, that we've certainly seen them approach. I mean, they, they were a cobbler team. It's who mm -hmm. they've been. They've been a cobbler team for a long time. And it was sort of like the Dalton to green of the Bengals press box food situation. It, it was what you came to see. The rest of it often left a lot to be desired. Come and go, ups and downs, highs and lows. But the cobbler was always there. And I felt like the cobbler started to have its bad weeks, right? And you started mm -hmm. to see cracks. And they have ascended a little bit in other areas, particularly, you know, complementing up in the dessert area. Really, the their dessert category this year is, is a little bit of of – upgrading from burrow to chase a little bit uh they're not they're not on the same level of some of the other teams in this league but comparison to their past status uh i think yeah you're right big kudos one, one more note no one wants to take advantage of the bengals killer brownie sponsorship more than i do yeah. i'm i'm looking to eat more killer brownies and to have more of those in my life and hopefully that's something that can be rectified going forward yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's it's ways that they need to dig out of this to be better in the next level. Um, all right, that was that was just perfect and everything I ever hoped it would be, Charlie. I appreciate it. Well, let's wrap this up with predictions 
or Monday night. Uh, key to victory and a prediction from you. Zach, what do you got? Um, I wrote before they played the, the Steelers last week, reflecting on the last time the Steelers played the Bengals when the Bengals had a backup quarterback. We know that is the Ryan Finley game. General Williams said that game is a local legend and for good reason. Uh, that was the game where they said, you know what? What, what, what we can do right now is a zone read offense and there are limitations with, with so many things across the roster. Let's do an option and pretend that Ryan Finley's Lamar Jackson for one night only. And then what you saw in, in the game this year against the Steelers was traditional drop back passing stuff and runs up the middle. So I'd like to see, all right, what, what's the best thing you got? What can you show that they're not prepared for? I talked to Mike Hilton about that Steelers game. He said they didn't see it coming, and it's why the Bengals won the game. And I'm curious what they've stored up and what they can maximize on from a play design perspective more than a play calling perspective to see if they can create a shot or two. Heck, maybe even maybe even a fake punt. Yeah, why not? I mean, that's my point at this point is what are we doing? You need to go out there and you need to do something different. You know, I get it not needing to go to the gadget plays or the crazy stuff when it's like, why would you do that? You know, what's more likely to work. Joe Burrow drops back and throws the ball to Jamar chase. So we're not, there's no need to mess around with that. But for me now you need to, you need to get in your bag as your generation likes to say uh, a little bit and, and find something to, to that end. You can't run gadget trick plays, even if even if you did want to do that. You can't run it all the time. At some point, you've got to be able to do your things that you do consistently better. The key to victory to me is the Bengals doing what I think they will do, which is have learned from Jake Browning's first game. Hmm. They they need to they learned about Jake Browning on Sunday in live bullets. What they didn't know. It's one thing to be the guy in the meeting room and the guy that can talk game and the guy that can look good in the preseason and go through camp or whatever. It's a whole other thing to see how he reacts and processes and does all your offense when TJ Watt is going to be bearing down on you on third downs. And they were bad on third downs against Pittsburgh. And a lot of that was learning. Okay. First start of Jake Browning. Okay. He's a, he's a smart guy. They have smart coaches that should know how to adjust. They need to learn better how Jake Browning plays in live bullets and adjust the game plan to that. I expect them to do so. I expect it to look different. And I think that it will be more effective and more efficient. That said, I don't know that there is a more efficient, uh, explosive version of that that can keep up with what I expect Jacksonville to do offensively. But that said, I do think that's the key is the day, the down to down, particularly third down to third down needs to look like the Bengals learned a lot from last week about how Jake Browning plays with live bullets. What's your prediction? Well, real quick this morning, I went through the third downs like you were talking about. The first three I have, pull the trigger, pull the trigger, pull the trigger. Yeah. And clearly someone told them something and I wrote, overcorrect one second throw, overcorrect one second throw. <laughs> and then the pick, which was basically the same thing where Browning said he threw the ball too quickly. So like, I just don't know that Browning can find this middle ground in one week. I'm kind of in the mode where I need to see the Bengals offense do it before I could pick him to win. So I got the Jaguars 24 to four, 24 to 13, 24, 13. I have uh, as you got, you got the cover. Uh, I have I have the Jaguars winning 23-17. Um, you know, I still th- I think you'll see the Bengals defense give up a lot of big plays. I still think you'll see them do what they do, which is red zone stop, probably a couple of a couple force a couple of shorter field goals to keep it close enough, but inevitably I, I you're right. I mean there's just I just don't see the offense having enough to keep up with with what the Jaguars are going to present. And then there'll probably be, you know, one or two Jake Browning mistakes um, that we end up talking about again because that's what it is in this league. And particularly, look, primetime road games, we've talked a lot about that. We know how long that goes back. It's a real thing. It's hard to do. It's even harder to do when you have Jake Browning going into Trevor Lawrence's house um, when they have won seven of the last eight. So I, I think you and I are on kind of the same path, but Hey, think about how different the tone would be if the Bengals went in on Monday night football and upset the Jaguars. And now they go Indy, Minnesota, you know, their next Can two. Sneak in? Can you s- hashtag sneak on in? Is that what, yeah. what's, is that what's going to happen next? Right. Uh, I think if they win this game, I think you can envision it. Certainly. I don't know what I've seen with my eyes, 
to make me believe that they are going to do that or can pull that off. But certainly, the, you know, I don't think Zach Taylor's wrong that they can go in and change the narrative on Monday night. Uh, the point being is that's a real tall order for them to change the narrative that much from what they clearly have been. So, Charlie, this has been fun. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for coming on. You've been uh, you've been a king. I hope everybody is reading Charlie and the Inquirer, Cincinnati.com. Be a chalkboard. Be a chalkboard guy or girl, okay? Follow Charlie, what he's doing there. It's great stuff. Um, do you have a name? Like there's Swifties, right? I mean, people that follow, people that are chalkboard uh, chalkboard people. I need, I need a I good name for that. You, like, I can guarantee you no one's ever even had a thought about that before. Like they're very low on the list of things, like what to name the people who read the chalkboard. I think I, I'm going to work on that. That's, that's, right. my, that's my goal for my flight to Jacksonville is going to be coming up with a proper name for your chalk, your hardcore chalkboard diehards. Okay. I'll stick with a valued Cincinnati Inquirer subscriber. <laughs> <laughs> there is that'll, no that'll, question. That'll that's that's well done. Well done. Company man. Love it. All right, Charlie. Appreciate it, buddy. Uh, we will uh, we will talk to you later. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Have a good one, everybody. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.